Oh, <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, I don't necessarily endorse it, but I, uh, I think if your kids would like it at least. Um, yeah, if you don't know the storyline, the family uh, takes a trip to Paris, and in the hurry and the hustle and the bustle, getting ready, they leave little Kevin behind, and he is literally home alone, and it's not until they're on the plane that the mom is going through the checklist, if we feel like we forgot something, that uh, she realizes she's left her son at home, and the movie then takes two courses. One is Kevin keeping his home safe from the burglars, and mom and dad trying to get back home. Uh, now, it's a funny movie. Um, the idea of being alone at the holidays, though, is there's really nothing funny about that at all. Loneliness is a huge deal in our world. And it's interesting to me that um, Christmas speaks specifically to the idea of loneliness. It's almost a universal problem. I've pulled just a couple quotes for you here. Here's one from Billy Graham. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, loneliness is man's greatest problem, Billy Graham said. That when he has talked to literally hundreds of thousands of people, the recurring theme from people's perspective is, is they're lonely. They feel isolated. Uh, John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, here's what he said. Loneliness is the first thing that God named as not good. And that's true. When you read the story of the Bible, the first time that God said something wasn't good is when he said it wasn't good for a man to be alone. But our apostles of pop said it this way. Ah, look at all the lonely people. That's John, Paul, and Ringo. Remember that, Eleanor Rigby? That's how they said it. It really is almost a universal experience, the idea of loneliness. What I want to do today with you is I want to go to God's Word like we always do around here. We really believe God's Word is special. It's unique among all the literature in human history. It's God revealing Himself to us. He tells us a lot about Him and His character and His heart for us. He, tell us, he tells us a lot about us, about what our experience in this world is going to be like and the nature of who we are. And most of all, He tells us how we can have a relationship with Him. That was His primary purpose in giving us the gift of the Bible. We're going to look at the Bible, we're going to look at loneliness in general, but I, I want to look at this one particular slice of Christmas that makes specific impact on our conversation today. And that's the idea that Jesus said that when he came to this world, he, we could have a relationship with the Father through him. And in telling people about that, the word that was used over and over and over again around the Christmas time by both the prophets... And by the angel, when the angel's telling Mary and Joseph all about this son they're going to raise together, it's the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. If you've been around church, you probably have heard that word. It's in a few of our Christmas carols. But the word simply means God with us. Whenever in the Bible you're reading the name and it ends with the two English letters E-L, L, uh, that is the name of God, L. So Emmanuel is God with us, God within, God as a part of us. And the Christmas story talks about how Jesus came into this world as a baby, lived among us, and God gave himself to us, not to just lord over us like a lot of the ancient Near Eastern God stories that were being perpetuated in that area at the time when Jesus was born, but God came and literally lived among us. He retained his deity, but he became a human, and he experienced everything that we experienced. And Jesus knew exactly what it was to be isolated and alone. He experienced that emotion of loneliness that a lot of us have felt. I come to the holiday season this time of year, and I'm reminded, especially because of events in my own family, that a lot of you this year experiencing the holiday without somebody that you've experienced the holiday with before. You've, you've lost somebody that you love. It's a, a parent or a relative or a close friend. That's incredibly difficult to do. We know that the psychologists and sociologists tell us that it's at the holidays that the sense of loneliness and isolation really rises significantly in our culture. 
That's why when I read the Bible and I find in its stories, in its pages, in the truth that it contains, I find normal, everyday experiences happening. I, I get so encouraged. I'm so uh, enthused about, about the Scripture because it deals specifically with the very kinds of things that we deal with. And the guy we're going to focus on today is a guy that the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about him. But he's a major player in the early Christmas story, and he's a major player in the life of Jesus, at least for a while. And then he kind of disappears off the scene, and we don't hear anything else about him. His name is Joseph, and he's the one that is given the duty, the responsibility, the privilege to raise the baby Jesus as his own son. And yet it's not his son. He's, that's made very clear to him in the passage we're going to read if you have your Bible and you want to go with us to where we're going to look today, go to Matthew chapter 1. If for some reason you don't have a Bible with you today, when we get to those passages, they'll be on the side screens. But Joseph went through a lot of experiences in and around the Christmas time where it would have been easy for him to feel alone and isolated, cocooned in. He experienced pressures and challenges and difficulties that rather than making him feel like he was the part of a bigger story, that he was a part of something grand and great, that he was a part of a significant journey and he was only on the front end, but one day he was going to reach the conclusion of it. Rather than making him feel all those wonderful things, the experiences he went through likely made him feel very small and alone. I love his story in the Bible because it helps all of us who have ever at any point in our life felt alone, that the hurdle was too big, that the obstacle was too large in front of us. If we've ever had those normal human emotions and you read the story of Joseph, you can relate to what he went through. Here's the first thing I want you to observe about Joseph in our stories, that Joseph's sense of being betrayed may have left him feeling separated and alone. Here's how Joseph first experiences the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. Here's what the Bible says. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, this has tripped up people throughout all of, of history, ever since the story was told. It trips, it trips us up in our, in our modern thinking of how does a person who's never, woman who's never been with a man, how does she get pregnant? And then we're kind of told it happens by the Holy Spirit, but mechanically, how does that happen? And you don't want to think about that too long because it just gets odd and weird and strange. But the idea of a virgin birth is, is a... That's a big deal to think about today. But, but just for a moment, I want you to put aside all your modern sensibilities, and I want you to focus on that one person, Joseph. He's found this beautiful young lady named Mary, and they live in the same town, in the same village, and they have committed to each other that at some point in the future, they're going to get married. And the families have agreed. In fact, they've gotten beyond just a casual conversation, and they've entered into somewhat of a social contract called betrothal. And uh, it's, it's as good as done, but now we just have to wait for the event to take place. I mean, they're as good as married. And in this time of heightened engagement, I mean, it's, they're, they're headed for that event of marriage. Turns out that the woman he's committed to and has committed to him, she turns up pregnant. And the emotions he feels, the, the challenge he feels is like any person in this room would feel who's been betrayed in a love interest, who has been in a relationship where somebody's been unfaithful. It's extremely challenging, isolating, a feeling of being alone, 
The loneliest place in the world is to be in a relationship where you think the other person doesn't love you. Some of you in the room, maybe yourself or you know somebody has experienced an emotion, something like this. When I used to do quite a bit of counseling early on, I, I discovered that the single person has a certain amount of loneliness in their life, and we don't want to minimize that. But, of course, not every single person feels lonely. Some are satisfied and happy and healthy and love, love their station in life. But when I was counseling a lot of people, I discovered that the loneliest place in the world is to be in a marriage where you feel like you're not loved, or you feel like the love has dwindled, or, or where there's been an unfaithful act, or maybe a series of them. You come to a place like the holidays that seems to promise so much joy and peace and goodwill, and then there's your experience, standing alone. But Joseph doesn't know that he's a part of a larger story yet. He doesn't know that the angel has already appeared to Mary and said to her, Mary, you are highly favored. You're blessed among women. All around you, other women are praying that they can be pregnant and give birth to the Messiah who's going to set up a kingdom that will know no end. He will rule righteously, he'll rule faithfully, and he'll give his life. And you, among all the women on the earth, you're the chosen one. And she's frightened, afraid about that, doesn't know what to think about all that. The Bible tells us that she ponders these things, all these experiences in her heart. That's her story. She's informed, she knows. But Joseph's experience is different. He experiences his first steps towards Christmas as betrayal. And all the emotions that flood in with betrayal flood into his life. He feels isolated. He feels alone. He feels separated. And when you keep reading the story, you begin to get a little, little insight. Here's what verse 19 says. Because Joseph, her husband, was, a, was faithful to the law. That means he was a good man. He was religious. He had a relationship with God. Because he was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This kind of reinforces that feeling that Joseph felt. Right? The relationship is over. We can't go on like this. And yet because he's a good man, his heart is right, he doesn't want to disgrace her. He knows that in that culture, even more than now, when a young woman turns up pregnant and she's not married, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And there isn't just stigma for the moment. There's stigma for her lifetime. She's marked goods, if you will, damaged. And he didn't want to expose her to that kind of disgrace. And beyond that, there was a, a legal allowment that said when a woman turned up pregnant and she wasn't married, you could stone her. Now, it didn't happen often, hardly never at all, but it certainly was at least allowable. It's the kind of thing people talked about in hushed whispers behind her back. And then here he is, the jilted lover, if you will. And so rather than turn her out and disgrace her, he decided to deal with the matter quietly. Gives us a little insight to his character, doesn't it? That he doesn't want to embarrass her. But it also probably reveals the depth of his pain and isolation. Yeah, loneliness, it's a big deal. When I used to teach ninth graders, you'd see that sometimes in their life. They'd be surrounded by activity, parents lavishing gifts upon them, and yet there was this feeling of disconnection. When I taught juniors, 11th graders, and they've grown up some, now many of them are driving and have a certain amount of autonomy in their lives, and they connect largely at will with their friends. And you could still regularly see in individuals, and some people seem to kind of live there, this detachment. 
And I thought maybe, you know, in, in a simple, simpler time and in simpler terms, that was the func- function of just growing up as a teenager. It's just one of those things you go through. But now I pastor, and most of my engagement in our church is largely with adults. And I still see it. I see it everywhere I go. Feelings of disconnection and isolation, just loneliness. And even more than just being alone, the sense that even when you're in a crowd, you're not connecting. You see it in churches. You you really do. You see it when some people uh, uh, think about joining a small group and and they're not sure what that's going to look like and they have memories of of being around people and not connecting and the pain of that and the pain of maybe betrayal in a relationship keeps them from stepping forward into a small group. And if they do step forward at all, they, they hold back. They, they keep those emotions tight and they don't reveal too much. I see it when people move into our area and they're, they're looking for churches and sometimes they've left a church they love. And one of the hardest things to do in life as a, as a family unit or as an individual is to find a church after you have left the church you loved. And they come and be a part of us for a while and try other churches. And they're surrounded by activity. They engage on a certain level, but they still have a strong sense that they're not glued together yet. Well, if you've ever felt that way because of betrayal, because of just the transitions in life that you're going through, you're not alone. It's normal. It's normal to feel alone. And yet, one of the primary reasons Jesus came was to be with us. Back to our Emmanuel idea. He came to be with us in part to remind us that we're never really alone. That we're never really without him. When we keep reading the Christmas story, what we're going to discover is is that Joseph also discovers that he's not alone. But it takes him a little while. There's a certain amount of steps that he has to take before he turns that corner and realizes, oh, I'm a part of something bigger. That what's going on with me might be common to all of humanity, and yet the truth of the matter is I'm not ever really alone. That God has been with me every step of the way. As I was trying to put on paper this common experience that many of us have, and, and as I'm reading the story of Joseph in our Bible, the gift of this story that God has given us to anybody that's ever felt alone, I'm reminded that all of us are a part of a bigger story. That none of us, no matter how isolated and alone we have felt, have ever been alone. And I'm reminded of the times in my life when I have felt most alone and most isolated. And when I felt most alone and most isolated, that sometimes God, even though he was there, he, he also seemed somewhat distant to me. That my awareness, my knowledge of his presence in my life was pretty low. He was always there. But I didn't always sense it in the same way. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I, right now, I want to turn right back to the story of Joseph in verse 20, just continuing through Matthew chapter 1. Here's what the, our Bible says. But after he, Joseph, had considered this, <laughs> he's thinking about it while he's pondering it, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, uh, by the way, um, angels appearing to people in dreams happen occasionally in the Bible. I'm just going to throw this out kind of pastoral. Every once in a while, people will come to me and say, I had this dream, and I think it's spiritual. Just, just an observation about the Bible dreams and, and God speaking in dreams in the Bible, and, and, and like ours. Um, in the Bible, when people have dreams, they don't wake up with ambiguity. They, pray, they wake up with clarity when God's speaking to them. They know what it is. 
The people that are in a relationship with God, when God shows up and speaks in a dream, they have clarity. And so, so don't, don't put too much stock in dreams that you have. Yeah, I, I know I'm kind of going against Freud here for just a minute. Um, don't put a whole lot of stock in the dreams that you have uh, you know, while you're asleep. I'm not talking about the dreams you have for your life. Don't put a whole lot of stock in there and always think that God's trying to get your attention. If you, if you think that maybe God is, just, just you know, pray on it for a little bit. But clarity is the goal when God speaks, not confusion. And so if it's bringing confusion, it's best to just put that on the back burner and leave it there. But anyway, Joseph has a dream. And in the dream, the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, he's, he's of the line and lineage of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, she'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. It's the Old Testament Joshua, it's the same name, two different languages. It's pronounced Joshua in the Hebrew language and, and Jesus in the Aramaic you give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins in the same way that Joshua led the people to the promised land and saved people from the challenges of the nations around them. Jesus will save people from their sins and lead them to the land of promise. So Joseph's first steps in the Christmas story was is that he felt betrayed, separated, alone. But that, that wasn't the only thing that caused him to feel isolated. Number two, Joseph's overwhelming responsibilities, think about this for a moment, likely caused him to feel separated and alone. In verse 22, here's what the Bible says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what we've been talking about. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. Now, there are other places in the Bible, just, just a little bit, a few pages on, that tells us what happens in between the dream and taking Mary home to be his wife. <laughs> There's this whole trip to Bethlehem. And Joseph has the responsibility of carrying pregnant Mary with him to Bethlehem to pay taxes and when he gets there, there's no room for them in the inn. I mean, the city's crowded. Everybody has returned to pay taxes in the, in the city of their birth to be registered for the census. And Joseph has this overwhelming responsibility to physically care for his pregnant wife, to mechanically get them to Bethlehem, but, but on, a, on a bigger level, to raise the Son of God, the Messiah of the world. His responsibilities are huge, overwhelming. Sometimes I've engaged people, and I felt this way myself, when I get the sense that my responsibilities are piling up, when, when my responsibilities exceed what I perceive to be my abilities, I feel overwhelmed. And then feeling overwhelmed by my responsibilities compared to my abilities, I can feel alone sometimes, isolated. I, I, I hear this from time to time with folks. It's the manager at the office place who's saying, the workload is just intense. And I find myself spending more and more time, even when I'm away from this place, focused here, and I don't know how to turn it off. And just the overwhelming sense of responsibility, the, the scale of the work causes them to feel isolated and alone. It's the mom of young babies, young kids and toddlers in the house. I don't know how I'm going to make it. There doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day. And she is surrounded by activity and often surrounded by people, but she feels very much alone. It's the student at 
school now, like coming to the end of the semester or in a few weeks after Christmas, depending on your school schedule, and they're overwhelmed by the amount of work. Maybe they didn't do as much diligent work, timely as they should, and now they're feeling the pressure of getting it all done. I've seen students, when I was teaching after students, just kind of crack, and, and you can see it on their face. They're, they feel isolated. They feel disconnected. They can't maintain everything. For every person is overfelt, overwhelmed by the responsibilities, the amount of financial responsibilities at the holidays, right? The, the sense that we have that we need to provide these gifts, these experiences, and then we look at where we are in the year financially and, and the gap that's created there. If anybody's ever felt overwhelmed financially or by the responsibilities or just by their role in life, Joseph, Joseph knew what that was like. And it likely caused him to feel overwhelmed, separated. Is this all there is? What's going on here? Where's God in the middle of this? But God had him on a journey where he was going to discover more than ever before that he was never alone, that God was with him all the way through. So it's likely that Joseph felt the sense of betrayal that led him to feel isolated and alone. These overwhelming responsibilities, they caused him to feel separated, disconnected. But there was another emotion going on in Joseph's life at this first Christmas, the one that we have painted with such idyllic imageries, such beautiful, serene images. But at the first Christmas, it was anything but serene and idyllic. There was betrayal, the, the feeling of that. There was overwhelming responsibilities. And number three, there was great fear. That's why when the angel shows up with Joseph, he says, don't be afraid. I know the stuff going on with Mary. That's a big deal. I get it. Don't be afraid to take her home. But not just fear kind of emotionally. There was tangible physical fear in Joseph's life. If you turn the page from Matthew chapter 1 and you get to Matthew chapter 2, that whole trick, trip to Bethlehem kind of thing, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, picking up from the story from last week, here's the fear in Joseph's life. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. The wise men have just left. And Joseph lays his head back down to sleep, and he has a dream. Go to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod, the king, is going to search for the child to kill him. He just doesn't feel fear by being overwhelmed. He has physical fear. The king is out to get this child that he has the responsibility to raise. And I have seen fear paralyze people, isolate them, cause them to feel alone, shut themselves in, disconnect, stop connecting socially. They quit calling family. They stop going to church. They don't want to be around people. The fear has paralyzed them and cocooned them in. The Bible tells us then that Joseph got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. At the first Christmas, far from being this serene image the major players are going on an emotionally roller on an emotional roller coaster journey where there is great joy at one moment oh my goodness i'm chosen to lead the savior of the world to raise him as my own son oh my goodness i don't know if i can do this what do you mean the king wants to kill the son and so in the middle of the night they sneak away the Bible tells us that he got up and he took the mother in the night and they left for Egypt where he stayed until Herod died. Months passed. We have personal betrayal. We have overwhelming responsibilities. We have paralyzing fear. 
In the middle of all of that, God comes and says, I'm going to be with you. You're never alone. I want want to share something on my board here for just a moment. This is not scientific. This is Ben, okay? This is, and this is not Ben after months and months of study. It's just kind of casual observation. I think there are at least three levels of loneliness that I want to talk about. Down here on the most basic level, there is the, and I'll just call it the kind of the personal loneliness, interpersonal loneliness, if you will. It's the literally I'm alone. I'm, I'm the single person who hasn't connected yet, and I really want to. I'm the jilted lover who has known the bitter taste of betrayal. I'm the overwhelmed mom, dad, executive student. And, and, and it's the situational stuff we're talking about in Joseph's life. This personal loneliness. In a moment, I want to share with you some of the things you can do if you're experiencing this. Or, or if you have a friend who's experiencing this and you want to you know, help them to some degree to, to know that not only is God always with them, but there's some tangible things that can be done. I want to share with you, though, a kind of another level here. And, and, and these words are going to fall short, but just kind of go with me on a conceptual level. Kind of a spiritual loneliness. Spiritual loneliness. This, this is that loneliness that ultimately Jesus came to satisfy. It, it, it's that we don't just want Christmas. Some of us don't even know this yet. We long for Christmas. We love the holidays. But what we really, we, we don't just want Christmas. What we really want is the Christ of Christmas. Some people know this, have accepted it, and they have connected their, their spirit to God. And there's a satisfaction that comes from knowing that Emmanuel, God with me, he literally is with me. And we'll talk about, about how, how to maximize this. There's another level, I don't, I don't even want to define it yet for you though, just, just quite yet. Let's just talk about these two and then I'll jump on, on this level up here for a second. You know, you know we're all both material people and and immaterial people. There's a part of us that is undefinable, can't be measured on a scale, seen through a microscope, and yet it's very much a part of who we really are. There's the unseen world, and there's the seen world. And on both levels, we can experience a certain amount of alienation and and aloneness. And it's a real emotion, and it's almost universal. And, And if you haven't felt it in a while, you're likely going to before too long. It's just, you can't go through life without feeling this way. It's one of the reasons why God looked at Adam in the garden and said it's not good for a man to be alone. He was talking on this personal level here, largely. At the time when God said that, human beings had an intimate connection with the Father already. God would come down in the cool of the day, as the image were given, and connect with Adam. But, but Adam didn't have a, a, a soulmate, if you will. He didn't have that personal connection with another person. Sometimes debilitating responsibilities, overwhelming responsibilities, and betrayal and fear causes people to pull away from those personal connections. It's one of the reasons why I love church. Because church is the place where, and I know it's somewhat forced and and even maybe artificial at times, but it's the place where we can come together and connect on a personal level. And to the degree that church is healthy, we, we can really pull off the mask Reveal who we really are and be accepted right there in that place. So that the fear of rejection, the fear that people won't like me, that I won't be loved, that can go away in a healthy church. And people can come to a place and have 
personal connections. They can have friends who know them as they are and they still like them. So what happens in healthy marriages? They're not perfect marriages, just healthy marriages. Where there's a friendship level thing happening here. There's, there's some laughter from time to time. There's shared stories when one person finishes another's sentences. When there's memories where you go back together and say, remember when? Kids, students long for this. And they'll trade allegiances to their family, to their friends, in hopes of getting a stronger sense of personal connection. You ever been around a bunch of junior high kids? Funniest, funniest observations in the world. They'll have an event where, like, maybe it's a sleepover, and everybody's got their iPhones out, and they're taking pictures, and they're like, look, and they're taking pictures. And then five minutes later, they're looking at the pictures they just took five minutes ago, and somebody will say something like this, remember when this happened? And I over here, I, yeah, it was five minutes ago. Of course I remember it, right? But they're longing for these shared memories, this personal connection. It's Facebook, right, that promises that, but of course it often leaves you hollow. Most social media will, because it's not personal enough, but it promises that. This is the challenge of the holidays. It promises more socially than it can deliver. And yet at its root, the desire is good. If you're not connecting on this level, we can help. But there's some things you have to do. You have to be willing to engage. And I know that's hard. Some people have real social phobias. I'm not trying to minimize that. But the only way to deal with that in a way that satisfies the personal longing is to lower that fear level as best you can and engage where you can. Keep initiating. It's what happens when a marriage hits a rut and it's time to dig down deep and figure out how we're going to connect again. It's joining a small group. (laughs) One of the best things an introvert can do, rather than join a small group, lead one. Force yourself to connect. Watch what happens. One of the greatest joys I get as a pastor is watching people connect in friendship ways. And then I watch somebody over here, maybe they have a baby, they get sick. And because they've cultivated friendships, they've done what the book of Proverbs says, he who would have friends must show himself friendly. They've cultivated friendships. And then... The friends show up in that time of need, and they're there together, and they're connecting on a real level, and, and church is happening there. We have a family in the church whose son was playing a uh, pickup football game, got injured, they were in the hospital, and I found out about it a few hours later, and, and this family's cl- very close to me, and um, so I showed up at the hospital, and when I got there, the small group leader of that kid that got hurt was there already, beat me to it, and I thought, this is church, baby. This is the way it's supposed to be. You're not looking for me who has the structural responsibility to care to some degree, but of course I can't because we have 900 people who call this church home. I can't go to everything. But that small group leader that's connected, there's a personal connection that can happen. It's when somebody on the worship team is going through a challenge and I hear the story that folks have rallied around and are praying for and sitting together over coffee, talking about it. They revealed the need, and because they had been there and present, a personal connection could happen. And in a very real way, Emmanuel, God with us, working in individuals, creates a sense of personal connection. But but there's, there's a spiritual way as well in which this happens. It's when we acknowledge that we're separated from our Heavenly Father, and we, we, we have a sense of our sin, 
our mistakes, our failures. And something in our soul cries out. And God hears us. He hears us acknowledge that, as, as you hear me say it almost every week if you call this place home, that we're not perfect, that we're sinners, we're separated. And he comes close to us and he covers that sin. And we get to experience Christmas not just on December 25th and not just in the few weeks leading up to it during Advent season in a place like church, but in whatever moment that place we, we find ourselves in that place where we acknowledge that he is the Savior and we need him. We get to experience Christmas in that moment. Emmanuel comes and, and gets to abide with us and we get to abide with him. But it's not just a one-time event, is it? If you've been walking with Christ for any length of time at all, you know that there are these regular Christmas moments where he shows up. Often for me, it's when I'm in the valley and he shows up. It's like I'm opening the gift all over again for the first time to discover that he really is near to the brokenhearted. And I've never shed one tear, not one tear of mine fell on the ground that he didn't notice. And that sense that he's never alone really, really comes close to me. Not not just me because I'm pastor, it's available to everybody. Jesus coming (laughs) means that Christmas is all about undoing loneliness. Both, Both here... And here, now, now, I don't have the right word for this, and at some point maybe this will be a book and I'll get better words, but all right, I'm just going to call it the soul level. Now, I'm not trying, all I'm trying to do is differentiate here. There, there's another level of loneliness that I'm just calling a soulish level-ish, because I don't know what else to say. I, I, what I'm talking about here is that, that kind of loneliness that can't be satisfied. It's not ever going to go away. I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, but I hear a few. It's the kind of, of loneliness that I hear older believers in Jesus talk about when they start talking about wanting to go to be with the Lord. It can't be satisfied this side of heaven. I mean, you can be fully attended to here. You can be fully connected here. And yet there's still something in us that is disconnected and not fully whole that isn't going to be satisfied until we reach heaven. Sometimes the confusion in these creates all kinds of challenges. I, I don't long for heaven yet. I, mean, I don't think I'm old enough. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, maybe I haven't been through enough challenges. I know that people have gone through challenges for a long time. You hear them start talking and singing about heaven and wanting to be with the Lord. Many of you know this year I lost my mom and one of my last conversations with her, she looked me in the eyes and she said, I just want to go home and be with Jesus. That wasn't just the pain talking. There was a longing in her soul to be with her creator. Not much we can do about this. I mean, if there is a pervasive loneliness in your life, I just ask you, check through this thing. Check through the personal level. Are you doing what you can to connect? Are you holding on to bitterness and hurt? If you want to squeeze out connection on a personal level, Hold on to bitterness and hurt. If you do that, you're going to wake up and discover you're alone on a level um, that, that's incredibly painful and sometimes takes a long time to repair. But you can begin to repair it by releasing that pain and hurt. Or how about here? Just you know, feeling distant from your heavenly Father? You know, the Bible, the, God has given us the Bible to help us connect. He's given us prayer. You can connect through sermons, through, through church, in both of these to some degree. But there are things you can do to connect here. This is why I constantly promote know God's word. Know what God says about us. 
Know what he says about himself. Know what he says about his love for you. Get that stuff. Hide it in your heart deep. Because when you do, it really addresses this sense of spiritual aloneness. There are times in my life when I feel disconnected even from God, but I know because of the truth of his word, I am never alone. And as I've gotten older, as I've matured in the faith, that knowledge of the truth begins to speak into my situation. And this one here, you know what we'll do with this one? From time to time, we'll sing about that day when the Lord comes. We'll talk a little bit about heaven here and now. And when people are going through it, we'll remind them that this earth is not all that there is, that there's an eternity to be had as well. And in all of them, we get to be reminded that Jesus came to this earth to shatter our aloneness. Let me give you the, the passage from Jesus in Hebrews 13.5. Here's what he said. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never betray you. I'll never abandon you. You will never be alone. And one of the greatest gifts at Christmas that has been given to all of us is that on every level of loneliness, Jesus, the Savior of the world who wipes away sin, Emmanuel, God with us, unto us a son has been given, a son of man has been given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the friend who sticks with us. And every level of our loneliness, he addresses that. And what we're really, really, really longing for, and what this world is really, really, really longing for, and they often don't know it, what we really are longing for deep down inside is not just a Christmas event, but the Christ of Christmas. And he satisfies. He really does. That's why I want you to know him. So I want you to do this. I want you to grab out your Connect card, and let's take a, a few steps together. Around here, again, if you're, if you're with us for long term, this is your home church, you know what I'm about to do. If not, I just want to give you a chance right now to begin a relationship with Jesus. So right there on your Connect card that you filled out earlier, Next Step A says, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. Behind this decision is a lifetime of connection. A God who loves, who will never forsake. The way we say it around here is you acknowledge you're a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I accept what you've done in Jesus, his death and resurrection, to cover my sin and restore my relationship with you. If you want to do that, we ask you to check next step A. Put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by in just a few moments. And then we're going to pray with you. And when I pray in a few moments, you can use my words, you can use your own to just acknowledge to God, God, I need you to cover my sin. I want you to lead my life. I want you to be in charge. I want you to be not just the Lord of the universe, I want you to be the Lord of my life. If you want to do that, check the card, put it in the offering bucket. We'll communicate with you about how special that is. You're not joining our church. You're not becoming a part of us. We just want to let you know how special that is. And we'll do that through email, as long as we can read your email on that card. How about next step B? You want to get baptized? Just go public with your faith? <laughs> this is when it's one of the clearest pictures of what it means to be the family of God. That not only is Jesus always with you, but when you come up out of the water, we often do it right there, and you come up out of the water, you hear your family celebrating with you. If you haven't yet done that, but you've committed to Jesus, we'd like to celebrate that with you. You can check the box, put it in the offering bucket, and it comes by later, and we'll communicate with you, answer your questions, hopefully get you, get you signed up for that. Here's next step C. That's what I was talking about, trying to deal with it on a spiritual level here. Next step C. You may want to memorize Hebrews 13.5. It's very easy. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just get that one down deep. So the next time you're feeling isolated, alone, even if other people have betrayed and hurt you, you know that your Savior, one who gave his life for you, has never left you. That the gift of Christmas is that Emmanuel has come to be with us. How about next step D? Pray this prayer every day. Every day this week. Every, every day. God, show me even more what it means that you are with me. Monday. God, show me even more what it means that you are with me. Tuesday. God, show me even more what it means that you're with me. Begin to unpack that gift in your life. See how it speaks to this and to this and to the deepest parts of our very being. I think Emmanuel, God with us, is a beautiful gift, and I want you to keep unwrapping that gift this holiday season. Or how about next step E? Help somebody else connect with, we, we say it around here, real love now, by giving them a clear invitation to the 4C Christmas Eve Eve service. Here's what it would look like for me because I have older kids. I would say, look, I want to go to dinner with you on Christmas Eve Eve, December 23rd. We're going to meet at 7 at this restaurant, and then at 9 o'clock, we're going to go to this service. If you have younger kids, you need to make sure you come to the 7 o'clock service or your kids are going to be cranky. I get it. But if you have no kids or older kids and you can push 9 o'clock, what, what? or if you have younger kids or you just have to come at 7, we're going to do 7 o'clock. And then afterwards, I want to grab coffee with you. Give them a clear invitation to come with you to church and make an investment in them and help them discover that on every level of their life, there is a God that can be with them. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being the God who never leaves nor forsakes us, for being Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, right now I lift up those folks who are connecting with you on a spiritual level. They're saying, God, forgive my sin. Become the Lord of my life. I accept what you've done in Jesus and his death and resurrection. I want you to lead me. God, I pray for all of us as we continue to unwrap what it means, your words to Joseph, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I pray as a congregation more than ever before, the rest of this year and in 2014, we would create a place of real love now so that those who are disconnected, disjointed from your body could know what it would be to come here, connect with you, connect with each other, be the church, to be the body of Christ. They'd have real friendships. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.